Welcome to Nature Finds a Way, a pop culture biology podcast where we nerd out about biology facts and fiction in some of our favorite books, movies, and TV shows. I'm Lindsay and she's Sarah and we are marine biologists in recovery and today we are celebrating Dolphin Awareness Month with the Island of the Blue Dolphins, which has no dolphins in it. It vaguely mentions dolphins hardly at all. Yep. (laughs) So... Hardly yeah. at all. Um, yeah, so this is based, this is a book uh, which was written, uh, I think probably for like middle years, kind of like. Yeah, like maybe grade really eight. Sure. Yeah, seven. grade eight, somewhere in there, like early YA. Um, it was published in 1960, um, and it's been around for a long time. It won the Newbery medal in 1961 uh, it's written by scott odell and it's about a 12 year old girl who is stranded on an island all by herself off it what we find out is the california coast and it's actually based on a true story so during the book um or like through most of the book you don't really have a great um concept of where where exactly the book takes place but it's this girl um who's a indigenous um person uh, living on the island and it turns out it's one of the channel islands off the california coast and she lives alone there for about 18 years in reality apparently and um it takes place during the 19th century so let's uh, a little bit of a more detailed plot summary for you in case it's been a while since you read it or if you've never read it actually let's talk about that first um Lindsay, did you read this book growing up i don't think so i have a feeling that my sister was really liked it or there was another book with a very similar title that my sister really liked. That is what I thought we were reading. Ah. I have no recollection of reading this book. And I think I probably would have remembered. Because if I had been 13 when I read it, I probably would have not been obsessed with it. But remembered it because it talked about animals that I was beginning to learn about and know. Yeah, I for the first like third of it, I didn't think I'd read it before but then once I got into the part where she was there alone and having to like figure out how to survive by herself on this remote island then I started to realize that I had read it it just I that the plot hadn't really stuck with me but just the idea of this girl living by herself on an island yeah did stick with me so yeah I was a bit confused but yes so it's based on this the true story of a Nicolino native Californian who was left alone on San Nicolas Island um and she was found by a sea otter hunter in 1853 and taken to the mainland. We don't have a huge amount of information about her because um, she goes to the Santa Barbara mission in California and nobody there um, spoke her language. So uh, she communicated with like sign language and stuff. And then people have since found what they assume to be her like places where she lived and stuff on the island, uh, archaeologists and stuff. Um, okay, so her na- her name in the book, which we don't know if it's her real name, it was uh, Wanapale, or her secret name was Karana. So there was like in her culture, you had a name that you told strangers, and then you had a name that was just for like you and your people that you trust. Um, and they live in a village called Galasat, and they mostly gather roots and they fish. And then at the very beginning, uh, Russian fur hunters and Aleut people come and like convince them to let them hunt sea otters. And then the Russians all try to leave without paying them for the sea otters. And there's a big battle and a lot of the men in their tribe die. And then the new chief goes 
and goes east, which I would assume is like the mainland. Um, and then uh, these white missionaries come back and tell everybody to pack up all their things because they're being taken to the mainland, which is where the chief is and everything's going to be great. Um, Karana sees that her brother has forgotten something and runs back to the land, to the island. And then she goes after him because she doesn't want to leave without her brother. And then they both get left on the island. They sort of start getting set up and then pretty much right away her brother is killed by a pack of feral dogs, which is really upsetting. And then, uh, so Karana then has to do all these things that she's only sort of vaguely seen the men in her um, society do, like hunting, building spears, building canoes, all these things. So she starts like teaching herself based on sort of the, the bits that are left behind, plus like her memories of watching other people make things. Um, and she really wants to go and like avenge her brother's death and kill the leader of the pack and all this, the whole pack of feral dogs. But then um, she like, I guess has a change of heart, like she sees the dog up close. And so she ends up like taming the leader of the um, dog of the wild dogs and it seems like like he looks different than all the other wild dogs and she sort of has this memory that that wild dog was actually from maybe the russians left it behind or something and then he went feral and then she retamed him anyway she names him uh rontu and um they sort of have this nice little life where she builds a house she makes whale bones to make a, a fence or she uses whale bones that she digs up to make a fence to protect all of her things from the other wild dogs um she starts like hunting and building different um, lures and fishing um, things she sees a an octopus which is like this super intense scene oh man mm -hmm. so yeah so she's an octopus in like a shallow area and tries to hunt the octopus with like a um, some sort of fishing gear and then like the octopus comes on land and it's it's just really intense um she calls the octopus a, de a devil fish um which like makes sense because like you know a lot for a lot of a lot of language like anything that lives in the ocean is a fish um she rehabilitates an otter that is tries or like maybe orphaned or something when the russians come back to hunt the otters again one summer the russians and the aleuts come back and karana she hides in a like sort of underground ocean cave and she watches and sees that there's a young girl doing sort of domestic things like cooking and gathering water and stuff for the um otter hunters and they sort of accidentally on purpose meet um, secretly and like give each other gifts, which is really sweet. And then Karana like realizes that she's been super lonely and like is, thinks that she might go with her. And then that they all leave the next day, um, <laughs> which is like kind of upsetting. <laughs> yeah. And then like years and years pass and she sees this ship offshore, like in a spring or yeah, she sees the ship and then two years later it comes back. And so she sees it approaching and she like puts all of her fanciest clothes on like a, this dress that she made out of cormorant feathers. And she waits and waits for the boat to come and they find her. And then they basically just take all of her things away from her, put her in Western clothing and then take her to the mission in Santa Barbara. And there she finds out that the original ship that had taken all of her people away had sunk on its way to the mainland. And yeah. that's the end of the book. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, so, like, I don't know, parts of it are really good. Like, the way that her character is portrayed and, like, her relationship with the world around her and stuff is really, is really, really great. And it's just, like, such a sad story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, which is the first time that I am seeing this, there is a sequel to the book called Zia. But, um, so I'd be intrigued to read that. But it's also probably sad. Yes, probably. Yeah, I think I really like the parts at the beginning, especially when she was talking to herself about... Mm -hmm how she couldn't do these things because she hadn't been trained because she's not a elder woman and she's not a man. Mm -hmm. um, so all of these kinds of things, not even 
like hunting, but like building and even like some of the stuff of collecting or making some of the clothes and stuff. Like there's all of these yeah. hierarchical things that were still obviously very important to her, which is totally acceptable and mm-hmm. fair because uh, like that was her life and that's what she knew. And it was interesting to see her kind of like grow and bargain with herself and being like, why? Well, it, like, it's not something like if you think about yourself and what you would do if you were trapped on a desert island, you would be like, I have to do anything, like whatever it is yeah. to survive and she didn't get there automatically she got there way slower than you would expect because she was so concerned about all of the people in her tribe that were no longer there and were probably never coming back well and she was so she was like afraid of the aloots coming back and then she was so like distraught by witnessing her brother basically get like ripped apart by wild dogs so she like burns and like destroys all of the dwellings and stuff and then Mm -hmm. like sort of realizes once she sort of gets back to her brain working normally that like she's so much regret of that but she manages like she manages really well I think because it's like the place where she grew up always living and they always you know like there was more people to do the work but there was always work to do and she sort of mm-hmm. knew all the things that had to get done just didn't really know how to do them all best. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really interesting about how she survives in her inner monologue which of course is entirely fictional. Oh yeah. Um but it well, all of what she does on the island is entirely fictional because we don't know. But it's really interesting to just think about like how skilled she was and how she did it and how she lasted as long as she actually did. Yeah, like they think like 18 years or something, which is crazy. Yeah, which is so crazy. But yeah, like cool things like she would harvest abalone and then while they were still in their shells would dry them or something it seemed like, which I was like, oh, that's cool. And then also mm-hmm. would use, I think, I forget what kind of fish it was, smelt or sm- smelt maybe dry them and then because they're such oily fish then would use those as like lanterns like candles kind of to light them on fire for light Mm -hmm. which was kind of neat yeah that was super cool it's probably yeah some kind of smelty thing that's full of oil yeah there's lots of oily fish down there um so i found an article or a website sorry as part of the um u.s national park service and it basically is talking about like all the animals that are found on and around the Channel Islands. Some of the Channel Islands, not the one that she was on, but like five of the Channel Islands are part of a national park. So this website talks about all the different animals and stuff that are there. We'll put that in the show notes because it's sort of like a good at a glance, like what kind of animals were she actually talking about? Um, Mm -hmm. For example, the blue whales are probably, or blue whales, blue dolphins are probably common dolphins. They are sort of like bluish, grayish. I don't know, but those are like the only dolphins. Otherwise, there's like lots of whales, foxes, all kinds of birds. She does also like I think out of her loneliness sort of develop like um, train or tame some birds to like live with her, which is kind of nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's got her dog. Yeah. And she's got her dog. Well, she ends up, yeah, two different dogs. Um, Yeah. Smelt, I think, according to this is what it looks to be. And then, yeah, there's abalone and like mussels and all kinds of stuff that she forages for, plus like terrestrial like roots and things that are more easy. Um, Like basically her only food source in the winter if she doesn't, um, save up enough food through the spring and summer. So there, some of the animals around there are a little bit hard to identify. Like this one, she refers to a sea elephant, which I think there's references to tusks or big, really big teeth or something like that. Um, and she has this big, whole big thing. Cause she's going to go kill one and then two males fight and then the old one dies and she gets the teeth from that one. And that's how she makes a knife? Um... Sword? Like, um, like a spear to kill the dogs. Spear, right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so down in California, the, these would probably be California sea lions or elephant seals, neither of which have really big teeth or tusks. Obviously, sea lions have big teeth, but they're all inside their mouth, yeah. not like a walrus. Uh, sea lions are the ones that, California sea lions are the ones that you would probably recognize from pop culture. They're the ones that bark. If you want to hear much, much more about this, you can listen to our episode about Andre. Oh, yeah. And they have a big bump, a zygotal ridge on their head, as opposed to cal- uh, stellar sea lions, which are just big, big sea lions. Yeah. With roars. Uh, and elephant seals, which have a crazy protuberance nose thing, which is why they're called elephant seals. And they're a very different color, and they're seals, not sea lions, so they flop around much more on land than sea lions do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have been an elephant seal. I don't know much about elephant seal teeth, but... I don't know. They're really big. They're the second yeah. largest seal in the world. Well, like, only second only to the southern elephant seal. Yeah, so this like huh. huge proboscis that's kind of like a mini elephant um, trunk. Trunk, yeah. yeah. Um, they're yeah, really good divers, so, that's the only thing I know. Um, there's also the extinct stellar, stellar sea cow, uh, which is a sirenia, which is like a manatee or a dugong. Um, but they wouldn't have been on land, so, and I don't, they uh, were, I think they were extinct They went already. extinct, yeah, so they were described in 1741, and by 18, or 1768, it was extinct. So yeah, when they, they were first super fast. Then when they were first like named as an individual group, there were probably less than fifteen hundred individuals. So yeah, so they were found in the the Aleutian Islands, and then the Aleut people sort of migrated um, around to hunt them. Um, yeah, so but yeah, so they went extinct only yeah twenty seven years after they'd been discovered by Europeans, but they'd been known for centuries before that to mm-hmm. um, yeah. the Aboriginal people. Um, but it wouldn't have been that timing was or otherwise because they like uh, manatees and dugongs eat sea lettuce and sea grass so they would not have had big scary teeth yeah and also like way less terrestrial than either elephant yeah. seals or yeah sea i don't lions. think they're terrestrial at all like no manatees or mm-hmm. dugongs are not so yeah um that was the only thing but like, yeah the timing doesn't work out mm-hmm. so it yeah one of some kind of large pinniped yeah. But nothing with giant tusks that you would Yeah, that would have been uh, fine down there. Yeah. My yeah. guess is elephant seals, but that might just be biased because she calls them sea elephants, but also like she wouldn't know the word elephant. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. So do you want to talk maybe a bit about what the Russians were hunting? Oh yeah. So the reason that the Russians were there and the reasons that the reason that the Russians came all the way down really the whole Pacific coast is to hunt sea otters. Uh, sea otters are marine mammals that are known for their very, very dense fur. And so Russians and all kinds of other people um, hunted sea otters almost to extinction. They got real, real, real yeah, close yeah, yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> to causing the extinction of sea otters. Um, sea otters were um, extirpated or like removed from the area around uh, where we live in British Columbia. Um, there are just starting to come back and they got really close to extinction in California, but um, again, like didn't didn't quite get there. Yeah, so they're pretty easy to hunt also like um, they because they spend a lot of time on the surface. They um, are in and around um, kelp forests. So um, sea otters like to they eat a super varied diet. They have a really um, high caloric need, so they will eat like a huge variety of basically anything that they can catch. 
fish, sea urchins, abalone, any kind of like shellfish, crabs, all kinds of stuff. And then uh, most of those things live in and around kelp forests. And then the kelp forest is also where they will um, leave their young and also where they will raft. So basically like big, huge groups of them will like hold hands and float and sleep in a big raft of sea otters. So it makes them really easy to hunt from a boat. And I don't know, do we want to talk about the <laughs> why it was really important? Um, I feel like we owe it to our past selves. Okay. So um, growing up how and where we grew up, uh, the not learning about the ex- like near extinction and the removal of sea otters from many, many parts of our ecosystem um, we was like a way that we would learn about an ecological concept known as a keystone species. And so a keystone species, if you think about an arch, is like that keystone is the top of the arch. And if you take that one stone out, everything falls down, right? Everything's mm-hmm. weighted on that. Um, and that's sort of how sea otters work. Although I would argue that with a lot of arches, if you take any stone out, it, <laughs> yeah, the arch isn't probably. doing so good. But it's like worse when it's the keystone. Um, so yeah, so these sea otters are removed from the ecosystem. And like I said before, they eat a huge variety of stuff and they eat a huge volume of food. So um, that had a huge impact. And the main one that's like this most straightforward direct line, like there's all kinds of ways that they are a keystone species. That's kind of how it works, but is the that they eat sea urchins. So sea urchins, little like, I don't know, tennis ball to larger mm-hmm. than a tennis ball, um, spiky balls that are animals. And sea urchins are really, really great at like swarming on the surf on the sea f- uh, floor and just like munching down kelp they just like eat kelp all day every day just swarms and swarms of them and so sea otters because they would eat so many urchins would help to not eliminate urchins but sort of keep them at bay um, and then without sea urchins all the kelp forest started to um, get completely munched and then because kelp forest is such an important ecosystem. Uh, it's like a great place for hiding and for having babies and for um, having like young animals grow up of all different species. So then the ecosystem completely changed because there was nowhere for all of this activity that used to happen in the kelp forest to take place. So that's why they're a keystone species, like this animal that relies on the, um, the kelp forest. Uh, its removal causes the removal of the kelp forest. So. Important yeah. ecological lesson that mm-hmm. Lindsay and I have both probably learned, I don't know, 10 times. Oh, more than that. Well, like, I don't know. Oh, learned? Class, learned. Been told, yeah, like, 10 been times, told of, probably. Yeah, like, probably once yeah. in elementary school, a couple times in high school, a couple times in university. Definitely. Every ecology class. Every ecology class. Yeah. Of course, by the time I'd got to university, I had been teaching this yes. to people for four years yep. but whatever yep yep so anyways kind of one of those like like i didn't have to look any of that up i just regurgitated oh, yeah. it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just regurgitated it um so now you know what we know or some of um some of some of yeah and the, you know there's not really any great uh, other fiction about sea otters so this is about as close as we're gonna get whereas we found other fiction about dolphins so we thought this was going to be a dolphin episode because neither of us had strong memories of what this book was about nope but instead it's about coastal ecology which i guess Yay. makes sense but also coastal it ecology does. is my favorite ecology of course yeah so they're 
are dolphins in the wild? I don't know. Dolphins. Yes. It's Dolphin Awareness Month. Go listen to Whale Tales. We're going to talk about dolphins all over the place in that episode. Oh man, that episode's um, a gem. Yes, it really, really is. So if you want to hear about dolphins, you can listen to that, or you can listen to last year's Dolphin Awareness Month episode about Flipper. <laughs> highly entertaining. Highly recommend it. Um, oh, so there's one other thing Ooh. in this is the... Uh, she mentions blue jays, ah. which one of the things that like we touched on with the seal elephants as well. Like, this isn't her. Um, she would be calling them the, the words that she that they named them in their language. This is the guy from the 60s writing this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the one who's using these naming uh, techniques for the animals. Um, so blue jays are not found on the East Coast. I mean, sorry, the West Coast. Blue jays are found on the East Coast. Um, blue jays, uh, what you, the animal that you are thinking of is the Stellar's jay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this link totally spells them wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, Stellar, not Stellar. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes to something that shows the difference. Basically, um, if you live on the West Coast, what you see, the animal that's black and blue, that has the pointy J head. I don't know a lot about birds, guys. Um, <laughs> that is a Stellar's J. Blue J is the one that looks exa- almost exactly like the one on the baseball team logo. Yes. Um, it's got a bunch more white on it. It's I think it's got like black around its eyes. Uh, it still obviously has the pointy J thing uh, plumage uh, mm. the back of its head. Yeah, but... like their plumage shape is the same. It's just really their coloration yeah. is very different. It's the coloration and also their distribution. Yes. Uh, there's yeah. no blue jays over here. Yeah, I but don't I... know what their full distribution is, but it's definitely not past the Rockies. Yeah, I remember as a kid um, learning in school that they were called Stellar's J and then like, I don't know, maybe my mom knew, but definitely like my grandparents just assumed that they were all blue jays. Um, yeah, I think that's so. I think, and that's probably like again from the '60s is like, nah, they're all blue jays, just like they come in different colors. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas like bird yeah. nerds are always um, known. Um, so you may have heard if you've been paying really close attention, you have heard us use the name Stellar three times in this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, Stellar was a um, explorer. Um, I don't know very much more. He named like an insane amount of animals off of the West Coast, including the Stellar Sea Lion, the Stellar Sea Cow, and the Stellar's Jay, um, and a bunch more that I always seem to like randomly read about. And I'm like, oh, oh I know that guy. Yeah, yeah he's a, a, sea, um, a sea eagle and an eider, like a duck, and probably some other ones. He was Russian. And he yeah. was in the 1700s, sort of the early 1700s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the sea cow was still alive. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So he did a ton of stuff with naming and categorizing the animals off of the West Coast, which oh. is pretty cool. Good job, him. He also, naming the animals. He also probably named, killing them. He described sea otters for the first time, officially. Oh, oh and also gumboot cool. chitons. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. Gumboot chitons are awesome, yeah. and I'm so glad that they're not called stellar chitons because they're so much better well, the, than gumboot chitons. The kitons. scientific name is Cryptochiton stellarii, or stellarii. Man, that guy has an ego. Yes. Why couldn't he name it after me? Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, all kinds of things. Like, so, yeah, so that guy's pretty cool and important to the ecology and well, the, the taxonomy. The names of, of things. <laughs> yeah. The taxonomy mm-hmm. of the West Coast. Um, yeah, anyway, that's my story about that guy. Uh, I only know that history because it has to do with coastal ecology. Indeed. That probably brings us to the end of Island of the Blue Dolphins. If you've read this book and have any more questions, or if you have other um, YA or early kids books that are 
make you curious to know about the science in them, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nature Finds a Pod and send us your questions. Yeah, totally. Um, as we noted before, the Whale Tales podcast all about dolphins is coming out on the last Wednesday of March, and it is going to be super awesome. It's such a good episode. Uh, due to that scheduling, as well as somebody is going to Costa Rica and can't edit podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we are, and also... It's me. Yeah, it's Sarah. And also some future planning looking ahead to coming up uh, social media holidays and episode potentials. Uh, we're doing a quick schedule change. Our next episode will be out on the 6th of April, but get ready. You have three weeks to swoon because we are doing Disney Robin Hood. Yay! Oh yeah! <laughs> so that you don't miss that exciting episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, uh, Nature Finds a Way, on all your favorite podcasting apps. Yep, you can find us on social media for all of our exciting posts about sea otters and natural explorers that are Russian and <laughs> blue jays. And mm-hmm. then in April, two weeks of Robin Hood memes um, at Nature Finds a Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yay! Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you in three weeks. Happy Dolphin Awareness Month! The best month! Yay!